Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 2nd, 2021, and this is episode 326. My name is Jake English. And I am Matt Taylor. That's right. The mere thought of having to talk about Baltimore Orioles with me has led Scott Magnus to flee the country. And until we can track him down, Matt Taylor from the Roar from 34 has graciously offered to step in and handle hosting duties. On this week's show, we'll go around the bases and explore the week that was in Orioles baseball. We'll also see how very wrong we were about, oh, so many things. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right, it's time for the drink of the week. Uh, Matt, what is your drink of the week? Well, Jake, my drink of the week is a Steady Eddie IPA from Union. And so... I recently made my annual pilgrimage home to the Baltimore area for the summer. And while I was at the local liquor, liquor store picking up a 30-pack of Natty Bow to bring back to, to Nashville to drown my sorrows, I decided that I had to have a Steady Eddie, if for no other reason than the picture on the label alone. Uh, as it turned out, it was also quite good. Uh, so I am a fan of both the marketing and the product itself. That's very good. It's good to hear. Uh, I myself am enjoying a Snake Dog IPA by Flying Dog, one of my favorites, um, and it is left over from the annual poker game where uh, my dad and his uh, fraternity brothers work very hard over the course of 12 hours to take every dime that I have. And that is my drink of the week. Uh, if you're interested to see what we're drinking on a weekly basis, or, you know, as the games go by, you can find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. Scott is at MAGN8606. And Matt, are we able to stalk your drinking on the internet? I have no opinion worthy of sharing when it comes to beer. And as you'll find out for the rest of the show, very few worthy opinions about baseball either. But here I am. A lack of insight and a baseless opinion puts you perfectly at home here at Bird's Eye View. <laughs> and on that note, with bruised egos, it's probably time for us to wander over into the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heart, they fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. All right, Matt, a little bit here and there on the medical wing, not anything bigger, I think, than the fact that Tanner Scott has uh, been placed on a 10-day IL uh, due to a sprained left knee. I'm interested about uh, the Tanner Scott injury. First, I'd like just to know how impactful it, it may have been on his recent performance um, and two, you know, I, I'm curious as to, you know, after he manages to get a blow here, get right, uh, get his knee, knee right, how effective he can be, uh, for the rest of the season. Well, and I think it's a, a rare case where an injury actually maybe gives you reason for hope that it explains some, some struggles. Uh, so hopefully with some rest, he'll come back, uh, you know, full strength and give us, give us some of the good Tanner Scott. 
It also provides us the opportunity for some rosterbation, which I like. Um, so, you know, some 40-man moves, maybe hard decisions don't have to be made uh, right away with Tanner Scott uh, hitting the uh, hitting the IL. Uh, a couple players here and there. The, the one that's really, I think, uh, disturbing, we talked a little bit about uh, D.L. Hall, um, but I think that it's becoming clearer that D.L. Hall's season um, is becoming more and more in the rearview mirror. I'm not sure um, that Hall is going to pitch again. Elias is starting to, to drop hints uh, that they may just shut him down for the season. And that is, um, if I go to my scorebook, a bummer. I think that is a, a technical bummer uh, for Dale Hall. Yeah, I would put a capital B on that word bummer there. Um, Hall's a guy that, you know, one of those points of excitement for the for the organization, for fans. Um, so I think any any injury news is concerning when it comes to Hall. Um, and so certainly from the time that that first came up and, and now as it continues, uh, I think that's a, you know, a cause for discouragement uh, at a time when we actually need some optimism. Yeah, and uh, luckily enough, I don't think there's there's too much else uh, going on in the medical wing. Uh, and so, Matt, I think at a time like this, nothing else uh, can be done uh, but for us to take on the fury of the Internet, uh, 280 characters at a time, this week on the Twitters. And first, I want to give you the opportunity to overreact. Matt, it is time to get excited. This tweet comes to us from Joe Trezza, who tweets at Joe Trez. As others have reported, Orioles first-round draft pick Colton Kowser homered in his professional debut today in the Florida Complex League. Um, so that's it, right? I mean, problems fixed. Uh, rebuild is complete. Colton Kowser is uh, is the real deal. He's going to mow down pitching forever. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I got distracted there. I was online looking for my personalized Colton Kowser jersey that I was ordering. Um, I think we have to take it in stride, not get too excited. It's, it's just one home run. It's just one game. Um, do we know yet what his number is going to be at the major league level? Well, in his first spring training game, it'll probably be 84, right? Um, and he'll, uh, he'll get a nice, you know, maybe 72 on his, uh, on his first end. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. So he'll fit, he'll fit right in on this year's club. Absolutely. Our next tweet comes from Locked On Orioles at Locked On Orioles. Happy 36th birthday to Orioles legend Adam Jones. And we have a video of an Adam Jones walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th inning against the Minnesota Twins. I don't think you can ever really go wrong with Adam Jones content. Um, so Locked On Orioles has hit a home run with this tweet. Uh, we see a lot of tweets from Locked On Orioles that are fun and mention various legends uh, in kind of a facetious way, but here truly an Orioles legend um, and one that that you never know when Adam might pop up and reply to uh, a tweet on Twitter. So that makes it all the more fun anytime his name is mentioned. Look, Connor does a great job over there at Locked On Orioles. Uh, does a great job with this content, but I have some beef with it. I have some. Okay, beef. whoa, whoa, beef on an Adam Jones tweet. What is your beef? If you're gonna honor Adam Jones. It's clear his favorite home run as a professional is the, the game winner off Mariano Rivera. That's the video that you find to honor the birthday of Adam Jones. Look, I don't make the rules. I'm just here to shout about it on the Internet. Okay, well, that's some worthy shouting. I'll allow it. 
Our next tweet comes to us from Orioles Fan Problems. That's Orioles Fan Probs with a Z. Ryan shares with us, I can't wait to tell my kids one day about the absolute wagon that was the 2021 second half Baltimore Orioles. Now, I almost understand what he means, uh, but I can't wait either. I can't wait to tell them how I overcame the first half in 2021 and how the Orioles themselves were the balm to fix my broken heart. Well, I know with all these rule changes uh, that we've seen this season, there was the rule change that we're going to a first half champion and a second half champion like they do in the minors, right? So the O's are right in this thing. 100%. 100%. You know, he followed up with a tweet that I think is is great. Um, You know, he he notes that the Orioles are 9-6 and uh, so far, this being uh, Monday here, um, since the All-Star break, and that the Orioles were uh, 33 games under in the first half. So if they're three over now and they were 33 under uh, back then, that's an improvement of 36 games. I mean, that's how it works. I get it. Well, you know, Ryan has a lot of talents uh, and obviously among them is also math. He's, he's pretty much a genius at this point. I'll allow it. All right. Uh, next, I, I've got a, a fun tweet. Uh, this is a tweet from Rock Abaco, who of course tweets at Mass and Rock. And he's talking about some moves that the Orioles have made to the 40-man roster, and the others don't matter. I want to talk about the first one here. The Orioles have reinstated infielder Richie Martin from the 60-day injured list. And i got to be honest with you, I kind of forgot that was happening. That's, I mean, that sounds terrible, but uh, it's good to have Richie Martin back. It sucks that he's been gone so long, and it has been uh, quite some time. But, whoops, I, I fell asleep on Richie Martin. I, I'll be honest, I forgot he was on the team. And uh, I, I think that if I were Rock Kubako, I'd still be having some fun, which has got to be difficult when you're covering a team all season. I would just slip in random transactions and, and see if people were paying attention. Uh, and this could have been one of them where he could have said, hey, Richie Martin, is this real or not? And fans could have made that guess. It'd be a fun game to do on Twitter. I think that Rock should start dropping uh, transactions to complete the Chad Bradford trade and see how many people are really <laughs> paying attention <laughs> that that's deep oral knowledge right there so we've got uh one more here from this week on the twitters this one from baseball brit at baseball brit uh who also has a, a very nice image there uh kind of a cartoon image of himself nice uh handlebar mustache over the the uk flag so that's uh that's nice uh, but his uh, tweet, this walk-off win from at Orioles legend Hyun Soo Kim is just a lovely old time. And once again, we get embedded video of a walk-off home run. So if you weren't feeling good from the Adam Jones special, here's Hyun Soo Kim in real time, uh, helping to give South Korea the come-from-behind walk-off victory against the Dominican Republic in the Olympics. And just a, a fun, fun watch. Um, and see that old smile and kind of take you back to days when he was hitting homers um, against the Toronto Blue Jays and giving the Orioles a uh, reason for hope down the stretch. I I love Kim. You know, he was he was a fun player to have. I love that that baseball is back in the Olympics. And I love that baseball is back in, in the Olympics in a way that does not threaten the World Baseball Classic. Right? Because I think that the World Baseball Classic came into being when uh, geopolitics made it so that baseball was no longer an Olympic sport. And, you know, when I heard that, that uh, 
they were creating this World Baseball Classic thing, I was like, ah, oh, come on, this is lame, this is this is dumb. But I got into it. I mean, I, I will admit, I, I got into it. Um, and then when I heard that you know they're going to bring baseball back to the Olympics, I was like, well, I, I guess that that kills the World Baseball Classic project. But it seems like both can coexist and uh, international competitions with baseball. We can't have enough. We can't have enough. Well, you know, and I think generally speaking with, with a lot of our professional sports, we tend to take a, a narrow view and think of it just in this country. And we're always talking about our ratings up, our ratings down. You know, how is this sport doing? But for years now, every sport is looking to have more international appeal. There's always talk of expanding into international markets. And I think, you know, between the World Baseball Classic and the Olympics, uh, it gets to show kind of that worldwide appeal. And it also allows guys that you normally see kind of all wearing the same uniforms and, and you know, supposedly representing a town, representing their home country and getting to see them um, in that environment, I think, is a, is a neat opportunity and also neat to see these guys go against each other on, uh, on a big stage. Yeah. And these games, I mean, they, they clearly matter to these guys. It's it's fun to watch. That's one of the things with this clip, uh, as as I watched it before we came on the air here, I uh, was delighted to see, you know, Kim smile. But then you saw like a genuine frustration, a general anger with the loss by the Dominican Republic. Uh, and so on both sides, uh, just just great, you know, great narrative, great, uh, you know, great video there. So, yeah, indeed, there's a lot of uh, a lot of investment in this. The players do care. It must be so weird to watch baseball that matters. <laughs> All right, with that, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll go around the bases. back with Matt Taylor of the Roar from 34. Matt is going to help me make sense of this week that was Orioles baseball. Matt, let's start at first base. And I want to start with a, a reflection, if you will, about the trade deadline. Uh, you know, there were lots of predictions going in there. Uh, Scotty, who 100% nailed the, uh, the draft prediction, made a prediction that nothing would happen um, at the draft, uh, at the deadline. And he was Almost right. He was almost right. Uh, the Orioles sent Sean Armstrong, or as we call him here, New Mike Wright, uh, to the Tampa Bay Rays for cash considerations. They also traded shortstop Freddie Galvis to the Phillies for right-handed reliever Tyler Birch. Uh, what do we know about Birch? Well, he was an un- undrafted free agent in 2019, and he has exactly 29.1 innings across low A, uh, split between uh, low A and, and high A. He's uh, 24 years old, and he's going to start at Aberdeen, and we have now extinguished all of the things that I know about Tyler Birch. Let, let's just take this in stride. First and foremost, um, how are we going to overcome the loss of new Mike Wright? <laughs> well, I, I think this team uh, will survive. I mean, hey, look at how they're performing so far, I think it clearly shows that uh, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Mike Elias is pull, you know, pulling all the right levers, and 
with that trade deadline move, he's turned the team around. They're contenders again. So I, I don't think there's any question that they've done the right thing here, right? Is that is that what we can conclude? I I agree. I agree. I'm I'm even. I will be even more amused if uh, Mike Wright comes back and they, and they you know sign him in the off season as a as a uh, you know minor league free agent. I I could see it happening. <laughs> Bring back Mike Wright. Let's print the T-shirts now. Bring back Mike Wright. No, no, new Mike Wright. New Mike Wright. <laughs> and then cash considerations, I believe, then becomes new, new Mike Wright. All right, so the the real story here, though, is um, the trade of Freddie Galvis, who is hurt. And, and, you know, sure, he's close enough to coming back. But if this does not uh, show that Mike Elias is a dark wizard fueled by... Um, you know, unnatural magic. I don't know what else. What else does? I I don't know anything about uh, Tyler Birch other than what I just you know read off my computer screen here. Um, but the fact that he could do, yeah, he could get anything for Freddie Galvis in his current condition. I mean that that's meaningful, right? Well, it's something, and we're and we're always looking for indicators of of Mike Lives. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, been been much discussed and much observed uh, by you guys and your regular course of of business here. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we make observations. I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, wh- whatever you might call it, I think we we you know if you spend any amount of time on on Twitter, you know, you see the the, the kind of one of the running themes this season is this back and forth over Elias. And and that's kind of the questions often when you open up Twitter, what are we angry about today? And that's often the, the answer uh, for Orioles Twitter. So we're always looking for, for indications, but overall, I mean, I think the trade deadline is obviously one of those times when people you know get invested, you know, between the draft and the trade deadline where that's really where they're going to make their readings and, and observations, even though we really know, so little about a guy that's drafted and so little about guys like, like Tyler Birch. Um, but I mean, I think it was meaningful in a, in a sense that when you know, we talk about the guys that are still here, that were the big names as, you know, are they going to be here or not that we've talked about from the beginning of the season? You know, it was the Trey Mancini and, and would they make a move like that? And there's a point, you know, I think early in the season where I, I had the, the thought of, Hey, baseball is a business and, you know, even with him making a great story coming back, you got to consider it. Uh, but then, honestly, it, it reached a point where it's like, I think you got to keep the guy, both uh, in terms of him being a potential building block, but then just in terms of he is one good thing, one very good thing about the Orioles this season. Um, but you also talk about a guy like John Means, who was, you know, um, before he was injured, uh, was was talked about a lot. Um and so you look at the guys they, they've kept and the guys that were potential, uh, you know, trade possibilities. Um, and I think that's more, the more telling piece of this. And, you know, you don't know for sure whether it's just that there wasn't a lot offered there, but we haven't seen a lot of reporting that suggests that they were in serious talks, uh, for, for any of these guys. And Elias has come out and said, Hey, Mancini is hopefully with us for the, uh, for the long term. Um, and so I, I, I guess, you know, we could take away from this that, you know, they feel like there's the beginnings maybe of, of a core, some guys that by the time this uh, team really is where we want it to be as a, as a contender that, um, you know, for some of them, like I, I look at some of these guys currently and think they might not be the star in that team, but they'll certainly be a better leader who's given you good at bats or good innings. Um, so 
maybe there's a little bit of uh, the old Buck Showalter phrase in there. I like our guys. So are there some guys on this team, Jake, that we can say, yeah, I like our guys? Well, you know, you said this is a business, right? And you have to take a hard look at it. This is a business decision. But I got to tell you, it's not good for the business when the villagers surround the castle with torches and light the place on fire. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, not making the move for Mancini was the right business decision, again, uh, because everybody likes uh, you know, breathing. Um, but, yeah, those other guys you mentioned, hopefully they have a role in this team. We, we want with our hearts for that to be true, right, for these guys to have a role on that next great Orioles team, or at least that next, you know, pretty good Orioles team. Uh, we'll see. I, I think, you know, the Orioles were listening for offers on their trade chips. They didn't get back the offers that, that would have uh, made them pull the trigger. And, um, you know, from here, all we can do is hopefully enjoy them in the second half. Well, let, let me ask you, this question, is there a bit of a mixed message in all of this? Because as we've looked at the club this year, it's, you know, hey, they've been stripped down to, to spare parts. They're not trying to compete at the major league level. You know, they're they're just looking to you know, save money, not spend on guys. And so we, we see that and there's a frustration with that naturally. Um, but now you know, we get to uh, you know, the, the trade deadline and you talk about people, you know, surrounding the stadium with torches and burning the place down. Um, but there is some sense there then, you know, that, well, this isn't that, that same message originally of, Hey, we're just, you know, not worrying about competing at the major league level. And, and by extension, making the argument that we're not worried about pleasing the fans with the product on the field, that there is still a concern there. So is there a mixed message? Is there, is there actually some concern with, what fans are going to see whoever does indeed come out to the ballpark or still tune in. No, I don't think so. With the exception of one, I think Mancini is the third rail, right? If they had traded Mullins, yeah, that would have sucked. But you know, part of it would have been, wow, it's great to see Mullins go off to a contender. What, what can he do with, you know, a real team around him? Uh, I, I can't, I can't be bothered to have emotions about Paul Fry or Tanner Scott. Maybe that says the wrong things about me, but I, I can't, muster that kind of emotional energy. Um, John means that would, that would, that would be bad, right? That would suck. Guy threw us a no hitter. Um, but I would eventually recover from that. Uh, you trade Trey, Trey Mancini this season and the guy overcomes cancer. He's going to be the, the, uh, comeback player of the, of the year. He damn near won the, the home run derby. No, you trade Trey Mancini in a year like this. I grab my pitchfork. Yeah, I also I, I disagree a little bit on Mullins though. I think that you would anger a, a good portion of the fan base just from the perspective that it would have the appearance to to some um, that you're really not trying to compete. You know that because um, with, with a lot of those deals, like even if you were to trade a Cedric Mullins, you're getting a promise of potential out of out of prospects, right? You're you're going to get maybe a few guys that could be rather than a Mullins that, that is. And with him being you know, perhaps the, the biggest bright spot in terms of performance on the field, uh, I think you would further isolate or further isolate some fans and then isolate some of those that they're saying, man, this is the same old Orioles. 
They really don't care about competing. There isn't a long-term vision. Um, and this is just, you know, this is a kind of a, a con game. So I think there would have been more upset about Mullins. He doesn't pull at the heartstrings the same way, but I think he's one of those guys that is a young guy really performing at a high level at an all-star level. Um, and I think as you try and sell people as it's going to be harder to do, the more time goes by on we're heading in a direction. Um, I think if you get rid of Mullins, that would be something people come back to and say, Hey, wait, we had that guy, we had that young talent and you shipped him out of town. No, I, I totally get that. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of logic to that, but I, I will come back to this. I think there are many years where I would challenge people to identify the difference between the Orioles trying to compete and the Orioles not trying to compete. And that, um, spot the difference. It's, it's hard. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. I think more, you're dealing more with impressions. And again, when we talk about the fan base, probably a portion there that's not looking as, as closely, but I think you know, to your point there that I can go back to when, you know, when they were good again for the first time in forever in 2012 and I didn't see it, you know, they got off to a, a, a decent start and, you know, I was still expecting them to finish in last place. And then, Oh yeah, they, they somehow patched this all together and, and made the playoffs. Uh, so it, it can be difficult to spot the difference. I hope, that they can reach a level at one point where the, the difference will be more noticeable uh, than, it, than it has been. Well, you heard it here, folks. Matt thinks that the Orioles are going to win 92 games next year. Uh, you hold them to that. I'm glad we could get it on record. All right. Speaking of the good times, let's head over to second base and talk about a good stretch of baseball that's taking place right now. Uh, it is Monday, uh, the 2nd of August. It is about... Um, Oh, the seventh inning of the second of August, and the Orioles are playing pretty good baseball. They are nine and six since the All Star break. They are uh, currently beating the New York Yankees uh, six to one in the Bronx, and they are for the moment a team that is decidedly watchable. What do we make of that? It's tough to know what to make of it. I and I would say more than anything, just. Uh, just enjoy it. I found this team overall uh, in the first half of the season, there were some nights where I would describe them just as you have. They were watchable. They were competing. Um, and it, it's fun to watch, you know, watch the baseball game and see them compete. And then you can turn around the next night and they looked awful. Um, so this is a, a good stretch. Now, one of the things that um, I dug up while thinking about this and preparing for the show I went back, looked on baseball reference and was looking at win streaks, losing streaks, this sort of thing. So the Orioles longest win streak this season. How what's the longest win streak this season, Jake? Uh, it can't be that many. I, I know that they have won as many as three uh, because they they beat the Nationals. Um and wore the black jerseys throughout. Have they have they gone longer than that this season? You have hit the nail on the head. Three. So most recently against the Nationals, they've had six times this season where they've had that three-game winning streak, but never more than three. So I was curious. Now this is back of the envelope math. This is me just looking through Baseball Reference, you know, kind of quickly. So if I'm wrong, um, someone that uh, actually is listening and cares can can light me up for it. But I went back and I looked through and from what I can tell, 
this has never happened before, that since the Orioles have been in Baltimore in 1954, the, let's say, shortest winning streak they've ever had in a season that represented their longest, that, that came out really weird. But the win streaks, four games in a row, was the longest win streak um, any other season. That was the shortest, longest winning streak. Does that make sense? Probably not. But <laughs> Hang on, hang on. I'm carrying the one. Uh, I'm going to go back order of operations here. Um, 2021 bad. Got it. Yes. Yes. I think I get it. Very, so this is very, the, this is the worst season for winning streaks. Exactly. Thank this you. This is an historically bad season for winning streaks. It, yes, it is. And so my question or one of my questions then is why can't this team string together more than three wins. I mean, this has never happened before. They've always had at least a four-game win streak to their credit. Now, obviously, there's still a lot of season left. They're playing better baseball. Um, so you know, there's still time. But you know, we're good ways into the season. We haven't had more than a three-game win streak. Why do you think that is, Jake? I, I, I know the answer to this question. Um, this is a layup, and uh, I'm going to let you in a little inside baseball here. You've seen the film Major League, yes? Yes. Okay, unfortunately for the Orioles, someone made the mistake of getting a cardboard cutout of John Angelos, covering it up in clothes, and with every win, they take off a snippet of the clothes coverings, and frankly, Matt, nobody wants that. I knew there was an answer, and you have provided it. It was just that simple. I, I was making it so much more complicated than it was. So with that being the case, then, can can we assume that they are not going to win four games in a row before season's end? I think for so many reasons, you can assume that they won't win four, four games in a row, uh, if for no other reason that this season is interesting. They are unspeakably bad, and they had their first no-hitter in forever. They are unspeakably bad, and yet we were riveted by Orioles players at the All-Star game. They are unspeakably bad, and some nights, because baseball is beautiful, you have weird, weird wins. No, I, th I think that uh, I think that just to hold this together, just to make twenty one a, a special time, they will uh, set a new record for futility. Okay, so with with that in mind, why don't we wrap this up by by looking at the question: Does it matter? Like, is this just some? Meaningless, meaningless piece of trivia that um, you know that I found randomly, or is there something to it that this team, as we talk about them in future years and try and say, you know, how bad were they? That you can say they never had a winning streak of longer than three games. I think there will be so many better metrics for how bad they were. I think there will be so many better ways to articulate the ways in which this team was wretched. Um, there will also be the people that live through it that will have that that visceral emotion, the the PTSD. They will have the the dark shadow over their eyes when you mention 2021. Uh, so whereas I do think it's meaningless trivia, I think it is a it's a you know correlation, not causation type of deal. This is the kind of thing you get when the team is built to be bad. Yeah, and I think it's also the sort of thing you get, you know, when you don't have starting pitching really beyond John Means. And we've seen Matt Harvey a little good in the beginning, a little better lately. Um, you can put together some win streaks off some some good performances there, but 
not lasting more than a series because the rotation does not go very deep or at all deep. No, no. All right, let's head ourselves into third base. At third base, Matt, I want to talk about the script. I know the script. I've been watching Orioles baseball for a long time. I've been watching bad Orioles baseball for a long time. And we've we've talked extensively on this show that you know that it's bad. You know that you're in for a bad time when you can correctly predict how a game is going to end, right? It's the third inning. Somebody for the other team hits a three-run home run, and you say, this team is going to come back and score two runs in the eighth, and that'll be the end of things. And that's exactly what happens, because you know how bad things are. You know the tenor of a team that, that is just not built to win. And so I've been thinking a lot about the script this season, and I don't understand why these things didn't happen. Somebody obviously didn't get their script. Uh, the Orioles just played a four-game series against Detroit in Detroit. And in that game, Miguel Cabrera was within spitting distance of his 500th home run. Miguel Cabrera, a great hitter, uh, in many uh, many ways an Orioles killer, um, if for no other reason that he has um, hurt us during uh, an intended uh, intentional walk. Um but he came into that series tantalizingly close to his 500th home run. And if you look at where the Orioles are in 2021 and the fact that uh, they're my favorite team and I can't have nice things, you would expect that the Orioles would have given up those home runs just so that they would be on the other side of that highlight that played incessantly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it would seem like a, a given. You could probably take most of those fans and <clears throat> sit them down and, and show them how the schedule's lining up and say, oh, yep, sure enough, it's going to happen against us. And I think the start of this series, um, you know, certainly gave every indication that this would be it. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a, a temptation to say that, you know, fans of many different sports teams have this sense of dread. Oh, this always happens to us. Oh, there's going to be a bad outcome. But I think there is something unique about the O's misery um, that probably makes this more common, perhaps, than uh, than in other places. I have a a friend who is an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, and he sent me a, a text one morning from they had a loss earlier this season where they gave up like 19 runs, and and we've kind of traded text about how bad the season is, you know, for each team and this sort of thing, and uh, reveling in our shared misery, you know, in opposite leagues. But I looked at that and I was like, you have you have no idea, 19, ha, huh? <laughs> right, like. Try you know, 30. Um, and so that, that's why I say, like, yeah, this sort of thing happens. There's a sense of dread among fan bases, and this always happens to us. But I do think there is something unique about being an Orioles fan where a lot of these things happen, and then we have to see them on the highlight reel endlessly, a la Derek, Derek Jeter. Ugh, Evan Meek, how dare you. Next on the script, somebody obviously uh, didn't get the right page in their script because looking at it, you know, I just praised uh, Michael Elias for getting anything for the Freddie Galvis trade. But if this were a real Orioles season, right, if this were going to script, you know that Elias would have completed the Freddie Galvis trade. And in that very next game, that Ramon Urias would have had some season-ending injury, uh, given the fact that Urias is, uh, you know, 
pleasantly surprising play is the only thing that gives us the luxury of trading Freddie Galvis. Why, why hasn't that happened? Isn't that the way this is supposed to work? Well, and normally, I mean, you mentioned the, the Galvis trade and how did uh, Elias get anything for him. That's the sort of thing that we normally are on the opposite side of. We're the ones saying, how did you make that trade? So, yeah, the script would be that we would have that, that injury uh, right after the trade. Um, and so how the Orioles are escaping that, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it is some of that uh, Elias magic that he's casting his spell. Um, now, just by saying that, uh, you probably... That statement alone will put me, no matter how jokingly, will put me in the corner as an Elias supporter, blind supporter. It actually reminds me of, of the days during the original dark days um, of, of the Orioles that uh, it used to be kind of a regular bit from some of the guys on, on WNST where they would just attack bloggers for anything that sounded at all optimistic. Um, you know, you could just make a statement of, boy, this team is terrible but they're not the worst team ever. And you were drinking the orange Kool-Aid and, and it set it off there. I feel like that's kind of how Orioles Twitter is now that by jokingly referring to Elias and his dark magic here, uh, that could, that could set off flames here, but whatever the case, we are avoiding the script that naturally we would expect that that injury and it has not come. All right. Uh, they may not have gotten the script, but uh, I have the next page. And if you will, um, humor me, I would just like to let you in, Matt, on a little, a little thing I like to call the Harvey Tease. Matt Harvey, who I have been lambasting all season, uh, awarded him uh, cruelly during the bevies. I've said, frankly, some un, unflattering things about regarding his pitching performance, has turned in three good starts. Not not three okay starts. We're talking three six-plus-inning starts scoreless. It is the longest scoreless streak of his career, consecutive innings. Matt Harvey has had three competent major league starts. And he's done this when it's way too late to trade him. So, here is the script. It would be one thing to say, look, this is a blip. This is an absolute, uh, you know, this, this is an aberration. This won't happen again. It's three starts. Who cares? It's 18 innings. Come on. This is how, this is how the story ends, Matt. Matt Harvey is going to have a great rest of the season. And in the offseason, he's going to get signed by some other team and he is going to be the reclamation project of the decade. Now, he's going to be a fourth or fifth starter. Don't get me wrong. He's not going to be an all-star. But the Orioles will have done the work, put in the time, dealt with the BS that will resurrect, at least for a couple of years, Matt Harvey's career. And some other club will get to enjoy an effective Matt Harvey, whereas the Orioles for the rest of the season will get it when it doesn't matter, and they can't win anyway. That is how the Orioles script works. That would be every bit according to script. We started the season thinking that Harvey and the Orioles were, were using each other. They knew what this was about. All right? Harvey reclaims his place as a starter. The Orioles get, uh, get some uh, good innings out of him. 
maybe some mentorship to young players and then ship them off for prospects at the trade deadline. But no one uses Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey uses you. And that is according to the script. So I'm glad that you clued me in and I can see it happening. And that will explain uh, when we're back on script. All right. My script tells us that we have to go to home plate. And so, Matt, let's go to home plate. I want to talk about the Baltimore Orioles crab feast upcoming. This is not an advertisement. I just want to talk about it. The Orioles are holding a crab feast on uh, on August 13th. Tickets, get this, tickets are $125. $125 U.S. American. Here's what you get for it. Uh, You get to park. Uh, not for free. You get to park for $125. Uh, you get a bottle opener, care of uh, whoever their sponsor is. You get unlimited crabs, which includes uh, a variety of sides, which are at this time unspecified, as well as beer, soda, um, and I think they will also give you water. Now, this event is taking place on the infield dirt on the field at Oriole Park Canyon Yard uh, while the team is away in Boston. And so the game will be played on the big screen. So, Matt, for $125, you get to watch an Orioles game, uh, which is weird because you're giving them money rather than vice versa. But you get to watch an Orioles game on a big screen surrounded by other huge Baltimore Orioles fans while you eat crabs. i got to be honest, I'm, I'm unsure here. Does the price tag match the experience? Does this does this sound like a good idea? I'm going to surprise myself by saying yes. So I think on the face of it, this would normally be the sort of thing where uh, I would, would bulk at it. But uh, you know, we could have a whole separate conversation about the, the price of crabs this year. Uh, we could also talk about you know what it costs to, to do anything inside of, of Camden Yards now that we're uh, – at a time when you're not able to bring in outside food and, and, and beverage. Um, I think overall, obviously you've got a, got a pretty good price tag on that and it's, it's certainly different, right? But I think that when you, when you look at organizations, um, and, and, you know, a crab feast is not going to, to change the Orioles standing among organizations, but you take a team that, uh, that has been historically bad. Uh, like the Cubs were for so long and the team markets, the experience, it's the you know, experience of being at Wrigley. Um, and so it gets to a point where it's like, does baseball, the result of the baseball game even matter anymore? So I look at something like this and I think, you know, maybe there's some, some merit. We've seen the concert series, seeing the crab feast of making Camden Yards a destination, a place that people think of. It's obviously a beautiful ballpark. Uh, allow them to create memories in that sort of way um, and get a positive association there. Um, and, if, you know, if you've got $125 burning a hole in your pocket um, and you want to uh, find a way to spend that, well, there's there's one option for you. Now, I'm sensing that, that you've got a different feel about this. I am so used to crapping on the Orioles uh, for stuff like this. I have to be honest, I'm not sure this is not a good idea. I'm not sure it's not a good idea. And it's a weird spot for me. I am I am torn, like Natalie and Brulia. I am 
I'm having an emotional uh, response here. I don't know. I think that might be a cool, a cool fan experience. But uh, it got me to thinking, like, what other uh, Baltimore-centric events should the Orioles be trying to throw at Oriole Park at Camden Yards? They've got a gigantic television in center field. And they can lure people onto the uh, onto the dirt. I was actually thinking that while the Orioles were away, it would be super cool to uh, televise or, or, or you know, show the events where uh, Maryland-born uh, or Maryland-trained uh, Olympic athletes were competing, and that would be a neat you know experience for people that care about that to to get together and and, and do that. Uh, you know, but you know when you when you talk about you know, Baltimore things. I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine that they would, they would, uh, you know, have a, uh, a showing of hairspray on the field or anything like that. This is the true, like, you know, Maryland Baltimore experience. What, what's better than, you know, crab feast, Orioles baseball. And Oh, by the way, you can touch the very dirt that the game is played on. Uh, I don't know. Seems, seems all right to me. I'm sorry. I'm I'm still reeling from a Natalie and Brulia reference that I was not prepared for uh, when I started my my evening here. Well, Matt, I don't know how to tell you this, but I am all out of faith, and this is how I feel. Well, well played. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a Baltimore centric event, um, something that would rival, uh, perhaps even exceed a crab feast um, in its Baltimore nature. Uh, and I, I love the idea of watching Olympic athletes, um, but I'm going to say that if we're talking about events to put in uh, you know, Oriole Park at Camden Yards, let's have them host Hunfest. <laughs> now, I know I know taking it out of Hamden would be a difficult move, uh, and to some that may be as sacrilegious as moving the Colts out of Baltimore, uh, but let let's let's take Hunfest to Camden Yards and use that big screen uh, to really uh, really get in there and, and get some good images on the screen and and really announce that hey we are Baltimore um, that that's my suggestion that's the that's the event I want to see there next I would just like to point out that all hate tweets can be directed to Matt Taylor <laughs> at Roar from thirty four. Um, you know, you, you mentioned moving Hunfest. You mentioned the C word. Uh, Matt, you're, you're striking out hardcore here on the podcast. My only hope is that people stop listening as soon as they heard my name instead of Scotty's. <laughs> I think I think people not listening to the show is something that you can count on uh, like anything else. All right. So we have gone all the way around the bases. We have scored a run here with the Crab Feast. I don't know. I'm... I'm thinking that might be a good experience. Let's take a, a quick break. And then, Matt, there are some things about which we are right. And there are some things about which we are wrong. And then there's some things about which we are very, very wrong. All right. Well, I want to play a little game, uh, if that's okay. It's it's something that I, I want to call very right or very wrong. 
Now, if you're like me, you're probably more occasionally right about things and, and more often very wrong about them. Uh, and my wife has a long list of things about which I'm very wrong. But I'm thinking here specifically about the Baltimore Orioles and things about which either we, other fans of the team, have been very right and seen something in a player that maybe others didn't or foresaw the future and a out, positive outcome that others didn't, or more likely in the opposite direction, we were getting good vibes about a guy and then things turned out very wrong. You mentioned Matt Harvey earlier, his scoreless inning streak. and how oh, I, I talked about Matt Harvey on this podcast. I must have said incredibly nice things <laughs> that just, just stay in character. You said, keep the faith. This guy will put up good innings for us. But that's what got me thinking about this, right? Harvey was a guy that not so long ago we were all ready to give up on. And it's not that he's you know back to his all-star form, but he surprised us, right? Giving us more than we expected. And a classic example with pitchers, we think about Jake Arrieta and how terrible he was in Baltimore. We couldn't wait to ship him out. And then we know what happens from there. So we have these examples where we can be very right or very wrong. So these are the guys I'm thinking about. And, and if it's okay with you, I'll throw one out there and, and we can just get it going from there. Tell me, tell me when you were wrong. Ooh, well, I've got a long list of those, so I can, I can pick from that. Um, I'm going to start with a very wrong with a, a name that's familiar to many, um, but not for his days in Baltimore. And that's Sammy Sosa. So Sammy Sosa, you know, we all know Sammy Sosa. We know what he did in Chicago. And granted, he was toward the end of his career, and, and maybe we shouldn't have expected much, but but I did. I expected that Sammy Sosa still had something left in the tank um, and that he was going to recapture some of that magic. And after coming off what was his seventh all-star selection uh, before starting with the Orioles in 2005, that, hey, he's still got something left. He can still do something for us. Uh, I remember a long drought with the home runs, uh, and I believe it was a game in Cincinnati where he homered in. Yes, he's back. We're finally getting Sammy. We're going to get Sammy Sosa that that we all know and love, and he's going to have a love affair in Baltimore with Baltimore and its fans. Jake, I was very wrong. 102 games with the Orioles, Sammy Sosa slashes 221. 14 home runs, 45 RBIs. It was his worst season since 1992 when he only played in 67 games. So Sammy Sosa, I wasn't just wrong. I was very wrong. It was your hope that fueled it. Um, yeah, that, that was bound to happen. But, you know, Matt, you're not the only one who's ever been wrong. I mean, I, I know this may surprise you. This may shock you, and I hope it doesn't change your opinion of me, but uh, I, have, I have occasionally been wrong. I refuse to believe it. And if you want to talk about a time when, when I was most wrong, I think I was not the only one. Uh, and I want to go back to 2014, the end of the 2014 season with Nelson Cruz. Uh, look, we, we weren't sure what to make of Nelson Cruz. When he arrived in Baltimore, there were some whispers, not whispers, there was a, a PED problem, right? Which is why he was so cheap and why he was able to come to Baltimore on a one-year deal. And we weren't sure, you know, if this was a, a good guy to have in the clubhouse, right? I remember it, it being somewhat notable when his, his new teammates, 
showed up to his press conference to kind of show him uh, that support. And so what happened? Well, Nelson Cruz clubbed the heck out of the ball in 2014. He had a, a great season for us. He's a big part of uh, you know a 96 win season. Um, but the season ended. Okay. And so there we were. And it was absurd for any of us to think that Nelson Cruz could beat Father Time. A 33-year-old slugger, there was no reason to give Nelson Cruz a big contract. Don't pay for what we already got. Let somebody else make that mistake. And so somebody else did. The Seattle Mariners signed him to a four-year deal. Uh, and then he got a deal with uh, with the uh, Twins, and now he is playing for uh, the Rays. And, and here's the thing. I wasn't just wrong. I was so wrong. Nelson Cruz is still having grandmothers open doors for him. And since 2014, he has only had one statistically worse year than, he's, than he had with his time with the Orioles. For the, with the Orioles, his weighted runs creative plus was 137. He's had... Several seasons, much better than that since then. And only now, in his age 40 season, has he crept to a paltry 136 with runs created plus. Uh, look, I was wrong. I didn't think that Nelson Cruz's power and and uh, singular skill set was sustainable. I was wrong. That's really a double whammy because Nelson Cruz is one that, as you've spoken to, I was wrong on both ends. So he comes to Baltimore, and I can remember, it, it may have even been my first appearance as a guest on Bird's Eye View, where uh, probably approaching midseason, we were talking about Nelson Cruz, and some of the conversation was around, will this guy ever be accepted in Baltimore? Um, and we had question marks about, would he be adopted? Would fans come to love him? You know, Would his performance continue? And there he goes, and, and by the you know by the end of the season, he's in the playoffs. And, and one of my favorite parts of the whole Delman Young hit is his kind of backward roll um, at the plate after you know um, after we get JJ Hardy crossing the plate and, and the safe call. And so it's like all of a sudden it's like wow, I, I love this guy, right? And midseason it was, will he be accepted? And then as you spoke to, I mean, so many people said, including myself. Oh, we hate to see him go, but boy, they're going to pay on the back end of that contract. And wrong. Very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure, Matt, look, we've, we've both, uh, you know, we've both admitted that we've been wrong in the past. I'm sure as a, as an intellectual, as a student of the game, as an all around, uh, superior person, there can't be possibly a second time that you were wrong. And with that, Jake, you would, be wrong. So I'm going to dig into the archives a bit. We've talked about some big names. I'm going to talk about a name that maybe some fans don't remember quite as well. Uh, and that's a guy by the name of Curtis Goodwin. So Curtis Goodwin, you know, you have to go back a, a little bit. He got his call to the big leagues with the Orioles in June of 1995. And the guy injected life into the team. Speedy center fielder, uh, right out of the gate, he has three consecutive games that are two-hit games. So six hits in his first three games. Over the span of his first 11 games, he bats 488. He's got a 511 on base percentage, seven stolen bases. So 
to me, sitting in the stands, watching this guy inject speed and life into the Baltimore Orioles, I'm thinking he's going to end his career in the Orioles Hall of Fame. Well, that December, they traded him to the Cincinnati Reds in a deal for David Wells. Um, and his career didn't quite reach the heights that I expected. Uh, the most recent time I saw him was several years ago uh, as kind of an offbeat character in a show about a reality show uh, called Playing for Peanuts. And it was a TV series about the South Georgia Peanuts. And there was Curtis Goodwin um, and mic'd up and really an offbeat character uh, and kind of a guy that felt he didn't get his due and he was going to work his way back up. Well, the, the, the team, the South Georgia Peanuts and the show Playing for Peanuts lasted as long as Goodwin's career in Baltimore, which was one season. Uh, and so when it comes to Curtis Goodwin, I was very, very wrong. Do you remember Curtis Goodwin, Jake? Only by name. If you had asked me anything else about him, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I, I do recognize the name, but that's that's all I've got. Can I give you my Curtis Goodwin story? Oh, of course. So part of the reason Curtis Goodwin is memorable for me and why he, he stands out um, in an other, otherwise unremarkable career is that I happened to run into him in Baltimore um, prior to him ascending to the big leagues. Um, and of all places, where, where else would you want to make conversation with a future major leaguer than the men's room? Uh, and so being in the men's room, I, I did find it odd when the gentleman next to me chatted me up. Um, but I found it even uh, more unlikely that he would tell me that he was going to be the next great center fielder for the Orioles, that he was going to be the next Mike Devereaux. He was going to take that spot in center field. And not wanting to be the gullible type, I kind of, you know, had a certain tone to me that would suggest I didn't believe him, which I'm sure he picked up on. Um, and, you know, then I'm telling people, hey, this crazy guy you know, tried to tell me that he was going to be the Orioles' next great center fielder. Well, fast forward. Dude in the bathroom was chatting me up trying to show me his Georgia peanuts. <laughs> I just left that out there for you, didn't I? Uh, I've, I've said too much. It was but a good win. Low and – oh, boo. So lo and behold, Curtis Goodwin, I see him in spring training. I see him on the cover of the sun, and there he is living up to his word. Um, even for one season, he still uh, shut me up and proved me very, very wrong. Well, uh, that I'm, I am not going to be able to beat the personal touch of that. Uh, sorry, the personal aspect of that story. Um, Please don't say touch. We're going to have to struggle along here somewhere. Scotty's not even here, and we've already run off the rails. Um, I want to talk about Rafael Palmeiro. Uh, I was wrong. We were wrong. How fun we thought it will be to have Rafi back, right? After an, an impactful five seasons as an Oriole, uh, the aging slugger uh, came back to Baltimore to finish his career and perhaps perhaps make it to the Hall of Fame and, and could have gone in with a bird on his hat. Uh, yeah, that's what we were hoping for, uh, but we were wrong. Sure, at age 40, he put in 110 games in 2005 and a you know somewhat respectable 107 weighted runs created plus, but there was the whole steroid connection. And, you know, right or wrong, Palmero really became one of the faces of that dark period. Um, and I, I think, you know, in retrospect, uh, players like Palmero have probably not been treated as fairly 
uh, as history should look at them. But we were so stoked to have Palmero back and looked so much forward to it. And the experience did not turn out that way. And so in that way, I, and I'm sure many other Orioles fans, very, very wrong. Palmero is is a part of one of my toughest days at the ballpark because I happened to be at a a day game when the Orioles were playing the Chicago White Sox uh, when the news broke um, about the the steroid connection. And I can just remember being completely bowled over by it. Um, You know, felt like getting kicked in the gut uh, with with someone wearing cleats. It was just a, a tough thing. Especially after you know, his his you know such a strong reputation um, in front of Congress, and so that's after all that he's accomplished. That is you know that that does dog Palmero, and and it's kind of the lasting memory of his time in Baltimore. He really is a fascinating figure, though. I think even um, you know I don't know what the most recent article about him is, but there have you know the most recent ones uh, in you know you go back a few years still holding on to. Um, that denial of, of ever having used steroids. And he just strikes me as a guy that would, um, if they made a, a field of dreams and some version of it in the future, that he would be a character in there as uh, how'd they keep this guy out of the hall of fame. And he claims he never, never actually did it. Um, but yeah, Palmer is a, a tough one that uh, I, I want to remember the good things. My, my then girlfriend, now wife, um, the first time I took her, the Camden Yards, Palmero hit a walk-off home run against the A's. So, oh, isn't that special? And um, that's the sort of thing I'd prefer to remember him for. But as you've spoken to, uh, you know, he's remembered in, in other ways that that make it feel wrong. I, I feel like I feel like I've taken this to a dark place, and, and you know, maybe this is my my fault, my problem. But you know, when we talked about when we were wrong, I instantly went to the negative. I've just got, I've got one more for you. And okay. I want to tell you about a time that I was wrong, and I think I'm not not alone. I want to talk about Melvin Mora. Melvin Mora was acquired as part of the fire sale uh, when the you know the last good Orioles team was ripped apart. I think he was part of the transaction that sent uh, Mike Bordick to the Mets. And when he came to the Orioles, he was really billed as as kind of a super utility player, right? Uh, Melvin Moore was at best the Ryan Flaherty of his day. And that's kind of what I thought of him. Oh, okay, great. We got a, a spare part. You know, he'll be in the majors, but he's he's nothing special. Oh, of course he wasn't anything special, except for he played in Baltimore for 10 years, uh, was a two-time All-Star, and, and had an, an incredibly impressive 2014. You know, it's easy to be a fond memory of the dark ages and not really have put together that impressive a career. Uh, but his 2004 campaign was, was actually really uh, impressive. Um, plus, you know, the, the guy lived in Harford County during his Baltimore days. So you, you can't, uh, you can't help but love that. But so uh, Melvin Mora coming, coming to the Orioles, I thought he was, he was a nothing burger and I, I could not have been more wrong this time delighted to have been. I am so glad for so many reasons that you brought up Melvin Mora's name. You have pulled us out of that dark place uh, and brought out instead a bright light. Uh, Mora is one of those guys, you know, we, we talk about associations. I hear the name Melvin Mora and I just smile. Um, part of that is probably just the image I have of him smiling, whether it's on the field or 
you know, the popular story of the day when he had it, was it the um, quintuplets? Is that the, the uh, what he and his wife? I think he had six kids. Okay. Well, so the, that when that was a story, the picture of him and his wife with the kids smiling, but Moore was a guy that um, seemed very likable and really, I think, outperformed so many expectations on the field. Remember when um, the Nationals were still playing in RFK, I went down for a, an Orioles-Nationals game there. What it provided was an opportunity to watch batting practice uh, you know, with the Orioles as a visiting team. And listening to the ball off of his bat gave me a new appreciation for, my God, this guy is blistering the, the baseball. But yeah, Melvin Moore was a, a, a great player at a not-so-great time um, and one that I hear the name and I smile and it goes beyond, you know, beyond just the personality. That's part of it. But really an impressive, uh, impressive time with the Orioles. Now, I want to bring up a guy that um, I don't know. Is it possible to be both right and wrong about the same guy? No, no. You have to either be right or you have to be wrong. There is nothing in between. This is a entirely binary system. OK, well, if that's the case, I'll say that. I wasn't super wrong about this guy, but it it felt that way. All right, that's going to be how I'm going to hedge that. So I'm going to talk about Jeremy Guthrie. So Jeremy Guthrie was a lovable guy, uh, again, during a dark time in, in team history. And he initially gave O's reasons for great optimism. I actually went back in the Roar from 34 archives. Uh, and back in 2008, I actually had this to say about Jeremy Guthrie. It's time to get excited about Jeremy Guthrie as well. Guthrie isn't eligible for free agency until 2013, and barring a trade or complete meltdown, is likely to spend his prime years in Baltimore, and that's good news for O's fans. So I was optimistic. I had high hopes for Jeremy Guthrie. I was excited for how long the team would have him. Now, if you look at his overall career, he did have his best years in Baltimore, uh, during his time with the with the team, five seasons, a 4.12 ERA, ERA plus of 107. Um, he also led the majors in losses twice, uh, with 17 losses each in both 2009 and 2011. Um, so it's not that Guthrie was so much better elsewhere, right? Like just as those 17 loss seasons aren't fully a, a true reflection on him. Uh, so too, his career best 15 win season for the Kansas City Royals in 2013 is misleading. He also led the major leagues in number of hits that he gave up that season with 236. But still, the image, we're talking about images and what guys leave with you. The lasting image of the nice guy, the lovable Jeremy Guthrie. That's him pitching. In the 2014 ALCS, painful as it was, oh, game three, giving in a serviceable performance, and then showing up in the T-shirt that said, these O's ain't royal. And oh, so much for he's the nice guy. So much for those hopes that I had for him earlier. What a jerk. Am I right? Well, actually, I'm, I'm pretty wrong. Naturally, he apologized for it afterward. I actually went back and looked. And he said, I have very good friends on the Orioles. Those who said, well, I thought that was a pretty that was pretty low, a low below or inappropriate. I apologize. And they accepted. Um, so uh, Guthrie, yeah, I guess he is a, a nice guy that that holds up. Um, but those hopes that I had for him and, and what he was going to achieve and help bring us out of those dark, uh, dark days. Uh, I was I was wrong about that. And 
thankfully it's it's on the record there. Oh, so this is your fault. You wanted Jeremy Guthrie to be a world champion. This is your fault. Matt Taylor, I, I accept so much from you, but this I, I cannot do. Do you have any idea how much the 2014 ALCS haunts me? If your hopes and dreams are the reason for that, well, I think I might have been wrong about you. Uh, well, just another thing that you're very wrong about. Like I said, hey, when it comes to Jeremy Guthrie, all I can say is that I'm really torn. <laughs> all right. That's about enough here. I, I'm done bearing my errors. Uh, I think what we should do instead is we should take a deep breath and then, uh, well, see who who might have been very, very wrong in last week's Fantasy Boss. Oh, that is not the right kind of music, and so it is clear by the presence of Who's the Boss that Scott won this week in absentia, if you will, and uh, it's my own fault. It's my own pessimism that did me in. Last week's Fantasy Boss category was the number of wins in the Detroit series. Scott looked at the schedule and said, well... The Orioles are in Detroit for four games. What do you think is going to happen? I said, clearly, the Orioles are going to lose that series. So I took a loss. Scott took either a push or a win for the Baltimore Orioles. And, of course, he now takes a fantasy boss win with the push. And that brings the, uh, that brings the contest to a very tight 7-6 score. Uh, it's in my favor, but it's not as comfortable as it once was. Uh, so Scott is not in the country. Uh, he does not get to pick the category. Uh, that's going to be me. Uh, but the privilege of selecting a player, uh, first will be, uh, Matt's and whatever Matt chooses, Scott will be bound by, uh, next week. So Matt, let's make this as ridiculous as possible. I would like, uh, nothing better than for Scott to give a deep, heavy sigh as if asking, what in the name of God did you do while I was gone? And so I'm going to ask you not a question that matters, not a statistic that's going to be impactful. I'm going to ask you about something that doesn't matter, and that's going to be walks. Uh, I was very surprised uh, for one particular player who we'll talk about a little bit later in the high walk percentage. And so I'm going to ask you, from a percentage, not a number, from a percentage, which player on the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Baltimore Orioles do you expect to have the highest walk percentage in the next in the next week? In the next week, walk percentage, I will take Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins is a good choice. He was third overall in this last week with an eight. Uh, an 18.2 uh, walk percentage. I am going to hmm, pick Mullins. I'm going to go a different way, and I'm going to take Ramon Urias. Uh, there's no real good reason for it. Urias was fifth in this last week with a 14.3%. Um, I'm picking him just because. And if there was a good reason... I would tell you. 
So isn't isn't he supposed to get injured sometimes? That soon? that is that is true. But if he walks at least once before that happens, my percentage will look pretty good. <laughs> so fantasy boss for this week is as stupid as usual. Uh, we're going with walk percentage. Matt slash Scott has taken Cedric Mullins. I have taken Ramon Urias. Who will own it? And with that, let's go ahead to the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started just so that we can give Matt the last word. My good for this week is going to be DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart had a sneaky good week. Uh, He appeared in four of the six games last week and had a 175 weighted runs created plus a 426 Woba. And as I alluded to in the last segment, His walk percentage was over 35%, and his K percentage was under 15. It's it's been a while since I've said anything nice about uh, DJ Stewart, so uh, yeah, sure. This week, he fine. He was good. I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't have something nice to say about somebody, but we appreciate it here. Uh, So for my good. you know, I'm going to go with Trey Mancini. Maybe this is low-hanging fruit. Maybe this is too easy. But this season is about moments for Trey Mancini, and he had another one against the Marlins, homering on the night that the Orioles marked the one-year anniversary of Mo Gabba's death, and then blowing a kiss to Sunzi Gabba in the stands. Um, the 2021 season has been largely forgettable, uh, but Trey Mancini's Herculean efforts are certainly not. They are quite the opposite, very memorable I'm not comparing the players, but just comparing the moments. Trey Mancini's given me that feeling this season, you know, Cal Ripken gave me when he always seemed to rise to the occasion uh, with some big moments during the streak and then during his final season. Trey Mancini just keeps piling up the moments, gave us another one against the Marlins. So he is my good for this week. That's a great one. It's impossible to think that it's been a year but uh good for trey mancini for for giving us something to go on in that game all right my bad is gonna go you know it's been a it's been a good go of it uh since since uh the all-star break so i feel like i'm nitpicking here but i'm gonna go with tanner scott who let's just say he hasn't quite shown off his trade value in the last week in two-thirds of an inning he gave up four earned runs uh i'll call that not good uh, my bad for this week, I, I feel bad saying it, but I'm going to give it to Spencer Watkins. Uh, he fell back down to earth this week. He had that strong outing against the Rays on July 19th, um, gave a lot of reason for hope there. Six innings was his longest outing uh, so far and gave us that feeling of, hey, maybe we got something special here. And there's no saying on what we really have in Spencer Watkins, but his last two starts Combined against the Marlins and Tigers, he's given us nine and two-thirds innings, eight earned runs, and a 7.45 ERA. Now, even within that, he had a good stretch on Sunday against the Tigers, retired 14 straight batters, but ultimately ended the day in in the dugout. And we mentioned Mike Wright. He's doing a mild Mike Wright in there, a little impression for the mass and cameras. 
Um, but look, Spencer Watkins, he's young. He'll learn from it. Um, I certainly don't think that the, the frustration we saw was, was immaturity or concern. I think uh, that's more wanting to, to perform well against his former team. Uh, I hate to give Spencer Watkins the bad. He's had a tough stretch, though, after, after really hitting that high water mark. And I hope to be able to move him back to the good category sometime soon. All right. My ugly is going to go to Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes appeared in all six games this past week and was the among the leaders in plate appearances. Uh, all that to show for himself. He had a nine weighted runs created plus nine with a 180 Woba. He had a 59 Babbitt, which means that he, he got sat on by the Luck Dragon. Um, and, and it's incredible that he did that poorly in that stretch while only striking out in three at-bats. So Austin Hayes, woof, that was an ugly week. Well, and I appreciate you reverse jinxing him because as we record this podcast, he's homered against the New York Yankees tonight. So thank you for that, and Jake. the service I provide. Uh, my, my ugly is going to Dominga Leba, who though I love his name, I do not love his performance um, and we talk about slumps. Well, you hear about the Ophers, Domingo Leba, Ofer, his last 18, one for 31 since July 11th. And at the time of this recording, he's been sent down. So now to be fair, the O's uh, picked him up on waivers from the only team in baseball with the worst record than their own, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. So a combined performance uh, between the Diamondbacks and the Orioles, it's been uh, a rough season for Dominga Leyva. He's my ugly for this week. Well-deserved. All right, well, let's take a quick break. Let us uh, come back. We'll blow the save. All right. Well, it's time to blow the save, and I am honored to have that opportunity here as the guest host this week on Bird's Eye View. Now, longtime Baltimore native, uh, consider Baltimore home now and forever, but I've been living in Nashville, uh, the Nashville area in Tennessee, for several years now. And each summer, I make a trip to Baltimore with my family, try and make it a longer trip to spend time with family and soak up those memories of home. And always, of course, as part of that experience is a trip to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So this July, during a visit home, that's exactly what I did. And not only was I able to go with my wife and kids and um, my dad and his girlfriend, um, but also my brother and his family and my nieces, um, who, you know, as hard as it is to believe, are, are growing up or now in high school uh, and developing an interest, and at least in one case, a very sincere passion for the Orioles. She knew things about the team that night that I didn't even know, keeping up with transactions and, and knowing the team, which was fun. Uh, but as part of that whole experience, uh, beyond the family element, beyond just enjoying being at the ballpark and having memories of home, a key lesson stood out for me. Um, and that lesson is that the fan experience still matters. So there aren't a lot of people going out to Camden Yards this year to catch a baseball game. Um, and just as many people are checked out and may not care about the team, it would be easy for the organization and its employees to check out. 
Uh, I haven't worked at the ballpark as an usher or in any similar capacity before, but I imagine that if I did, one of the things I would consider to be a neat part of that experience would be being able to watch the game each night, that I could see myself ushering fans to their seat, but being distracted at the crack of the bat or the roar of the crowd. So what happens when you don't have that? Do you get checked out um, and does it become more of a burden than a benefit? Well, what I found across the board uh, was that employees at Camden Yards were not checked out. On the contrary, it's as if they wanted to make sure that we as a small group among an overall small group of fans wanted to have a good experience, whether it was buying our tickets at the walk-up window and the kindness that we experienced there, whether it was when we gave our tickets at the gate, um, at the concession stand, or even the ushers. Um, Across the board, quality experience, and really a sense that we were welcome and they, they cared about our being there. Now, in some ways, I would chalk this up and just say, well, this is me being home and, and soaking up those good feelings about the team I love because it was a thought that I held in my head. But then I heard from other people separately when I was there, there that night that, hey, that was really great across the board. Everyone was good to us. Everyone made us feel welcome. So the ballpark can be a second home for people. Um, and when I think of home, I think of the house that I grew up in, but also I think of Camden Yards, and that's what I associate with home. And when I come for a visit, it's always great to be welcomed by family and friends when I'm in town. Uh, but to be able to go to the ballpark that I love, see the team that I love with people that I love and feel welcome there and know that that fan experience still matters, well, that counts for something. So good on you, Baltimore Orioles, for still caring about the experience that you deliver to fans, even in a season when the results in the field aren't in our favor. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. And Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please, please, please remember to rate and review this show. The guys who are the actual hosts, not the guest hosts, appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Now, remember to get social with Bird's Eye View. All over the interwebs, you can email them at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find them on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at birdseyeviewbal. Yeah, sure. That's all good and fine, and I'm sure people are, are very interested. But I'm interested in this. Matt Taylor, where can we find you on the internet? Well, obviously, you can find me on OnlyFans, Pinterest, and Etsy, engaging in all my various passions. Oh, wait, no, I've said too much. You can find me on Twitter, at RoarFrom34, and visit the very infrequently updated RoarFrom34.com. The, uh, the handle for the OnlyFans is Jordan Peanut, right? Touche. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fun... Adieu, adieu. Sign off. Oh, wait, no, I'm guilty of just reading the script. Thanks for listening, fans, and remember, it's only a game.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.